Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the A Word of Good podcast. My name is Gethin Aiden and my guest today is Carl Hazley. Carl Hazley is the Vice President of Content at Finimize, the world's largest and most engaged finance community. Finimize started when its founders had some savings and couldn't figure out what to do with them. They found that everyone tells us how to budget and save, but no one tells us what to do after that. Finimize dared to envisage a world where we don't need financial advisors, as much as we no longer need a travel agent thanks to the likes of Expedia. But just as we do with films, restaurants and hotels, Finimize sees a world where we consult an independent platform before making any financial decisions. Carl Hazley heads up Finimize's team of analysts who produce financial insights and deep dives for more than 600,000 members globally. Carl has over six years of experience as an equity research analyst, previously at Goldman Sachs, where he led the firm's coverage of European internet stocks. Today I'm delighted to be talking to Carl about financial well-being and financial education. Please welcome Carl Hazley. Hi Carl, how are you? I am great, thanks. Excited to be here today. Uh, really excited for you to join us. I've uh, listened to a few of your podcast interviews already. Uh, you use a lot of words I don't understand and talk about things <laughs> I've never heard of before. Um, I've I listened to one recently about, uh, you, you did one I think this week or last week around Goldman Sachs and how they might be kind of looking into the kind of consumer banking space and why. And that told me lots of stuff I didn't know. I was really interested in that. Yeah, um been been speaking on a few bits and on a few uh different podcasts lately. Um but I'll make sure I'm clear and concise. Uh, we only speak to be understood. So if if it doesn't make sense then I'll try it again. Okay. I'll probably I'll probably sit here and start Googling words you say. So, so <laughs> I can pretend I know what I'm talking about. Um so one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is um obviously um Finimize have kind of cornered out a bit of the market for yourselves where you've kind of latched onto the idea that people are thinking more about investing it's become a little bit more consumer and kind of into the hands of people that aren't massively rich so it used to be this investing was where people had lots of money and actually you know you guys are aiming yourselves at kind of you know even if you've got just a few grand you can help people do that and lots of the research that I've read and looked at is that kind of investing is um, of particular interest to kind of young people when I say young people I broadly kind of 20 to 40 I guess is what I'm um, talking about and so why do you think investing has kind of become a little bit more accessible and of interest to that kind of group of people um, yeah so it's an interesting question and I think um, it's definitely true that popularity has um, continued to rise and I think it's really out of necessity um, if you take that sort of group which would be you know 20 to 40 let's just call them millennial or millennial plus um they're in a pretty tough situation which is we're in a pretty tough situation in that um as it stands with salaries on average where they are um and retirement and pensions looking the way they are most people are going to outlive their money once they retire um if they just sort of carry on what they're, what they're doing what they doing is doing what they should be which is putting money from their salary into a savings account but then they don't really know what to do with their savings more than half of it sits in cash where it could where it earns basically nothing with no interest with interest rates close to zero um and that puts them in a really tough place um that has a bunch of 
different impacts. Obviously, in the super long term, that's problematic when it comes to retirement. But even the increased you know, uh, financial anxiety or stress about the future and managing money reduces productivity um, in the workplace, um, which costs company companies money and that sort of drives a downward spiral of companies trying to cut costs, maybe pay people less, which exacerbates that problem um, of not having enough money for the, for the long term of the retirement. Um, and then when you look at why we're having that problem and why people aren't doing much with their cash, even if they are saving, um, there are a couple of reasons. A lot of money in the fintech world has been spent on creating apps, um, services, tech to help people to start investing and to make investing in any way, shape or form from ISA through to super complex stuff more accessible. But when you look at the data and you look at why that hasn't, um, although, although it's more popular as a thing that people talk about, if you look at the data, people actually aren't moving that much more money into more active ways of saving or investing. It's because almost three quarters when you ask them say, look, we want to take control of our wealth rather than just put it somewhere. But we actually lack the know-how and the understanding of how to do that. And so that stops most people dead in their tracks. And then when you look at the people who do take action, 90% uh, of them say they do two things. They speak to peers and they use the media. So that's kind of when you talk about the corner of the market we've sort of geeked out for ourselves, that's exactly where we sit. We use we have a, uh, we use media in that we have a team of world class analysts who explain what's going on in the world of finance, try and break down some of those barriers, and you know whether it's explaining Tesco's profits, with good or bad, and what that means for you if you're an investor in Tesco, or what that means for you if you're a shopper at Tesco, what's happening to the price of your groceries, all the way through to you know really complex things. Um, and then once you've got that knowledge and you're starting to get that awareness, we have a massive community of like-minded people going through that same journey from maybe zero to investing or, you know, dabbling to getting more professional about it. And, I guess and it's quite interesting, is it? Because I guess we've, as as time has evolved, and I guess yeah, as you mentioned, kind of phones, apps, the internet, we have, we're more well-informed as kind of consumers, aren't we? And we have more control over our lives than we had even kind of 10 years ago um, and I guess that means that there is almost more self-directed learning so people ha now have a channel to go and find out information and make some decisions themselves whereas you know 30 years ago you'd have to be an expert or go to a financial advisor and you know that for lots of young people that just either isn't affordable doesn't exist anymore so they just can't go and ask an expert they kind of just have to find this stuff out for themselves and, and I do wonder whether people prefer that in many cases? Um, yes, it's definitely true. Um, I think people prefer it some of the time. Um, I think others find uh, that they're sort of paralyzed by the, the swath of information available um, and not necessarily knowing what matters and why. Um, so that's one of the things we, we try to solve. Um, people tend to find that they, uh, you know, use one or two sources that they trust or that they can relate to or that makes sense to them. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot more information out there. Um, and for people who are willing to spend the time and able to spend the time, you know, if you're pretty savvy already in one area, so maybe you're really, you know, maybe you're a really smart engineer and you, you've cracked that. If you spend the time trying to crack finance um, and investing um, or making my better money decisions uh, in the same way, you'll probably do it. I guess the question is, with, with all these things, how much time does it take and how much time are you willing to put into it, not necessarily knowing what the output's going to be. And I guess another area that you guys at Finimize have kind of looked at, which you don't see many others looking at, is the fact that the you know, as the popularity of kind of investments and um, people's interest in, in just in general investing has kind of increased, the opportunities for people to invest and the companies they can choose and the products they can choose have increased. Um, so, you know, now you could go onto the app store, for example, and look at, you know, people like Wealthify, Nutmeg, Moneybox, all sorts of different kind of uh, stocks and shares type invest investment apps. Um, and I guess that choice is compounding some of the confusion because it's difficult to get your head around and learn this stuff but then you've also got more market choice than you've probably ever had yeah exactly in in, in some senses it'd probably be easier for people if there are only one or two providers um when you want to go back to tesco when you want to go shopping um you know you've got tesco sainsbury's asda little maybe morrison's to choose from and you kind of know what you're getting but I think here there are so many uh, sort of ways to cut the cake, whether it's the robo-advisors that we mentioned, uh, whether it's the sort of more active trading apps, uh, whether it's a mix of the two, uh, whether it's the, the old school, perhaps more expensive, more traditional sort of advice and services. Um, and I think it, it's tricky to figure out exactly what you get from each, the benefits and the drawbacks are. Um, and that can sort of, sort of leave people doing nothing rather than trying to dig in and figure out what they might want to do. Um, and one of the things that, uh, when I first downloaded the Affinimize app a couple of years ago, um, one of the things that really interested me at the time was, I think I read an article and it was about some political decisions that were being made in China or, or probably the impact of something Trump said on China. And uh, it was basically explaining why your investments if you invest in certain areas might be down and I thought that was really really useful because you know any investments that I've got and I can kind of track and I can look at it it will be up and down and I don't always know why that's up and down and I'm not about to become an expert in foreign policy or kind of global trade but all of a sudden I was able to start to get some information about okay if this thing happened this is why or this is the political decision that was made that might impact and I guess anyone who's got investments will probably have seen in the UK as soon as um, Boris Johnson became prime minister in December, um, that level of security that it gave some people meant that, you know, you probably saw your investments go um, rocket a little bit. And I had friends texting me saying, God, you know, my money box is up to 9% and stuff like that. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, it's obviously gone down now. It didn't, it was, I think it lasted about a week, but um um, how important do you think it is um, to have that kind of knowledge when you're making better money decisions? Because um, one of the things that I was quite interested in talking to you about was um, members of staff at Finimize have been quoted in the papers before talking about something called information asymmetry. Um, so can you tell us kind of a little bit about what that is and why it's important for people to have knowledge, why it makes them a better investor the, the more they know, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think information asymmetry is how 
a lot of the, the finance industry um, is run, um, and it's a subject very close to my heart. Uh, I spent six years as an equity research analyst uh, at a US investment bank, and um, suffice to say, you know, banks make more money the less their customers know. Um, that's true across the entire sort of financial space. Um, and the way I think about it is this. If, you know, okay, you, you would never go on holiday without checking TripAdvisor to see if the hotel or the restaurant you were planning to go to was good. You probably wouldn't go and see a film without checking IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes to see what other people think and if it's worth seeing. Yet when it comes to finance, which, you know, for better or worse, dominates the lion's share of our time, our of our lives um, and um, of our thoughts, we don't really have somewhere to go to sense check our thinking or to help us make a more informed decision. Um, if you go to the bank and you say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, what you ultimately get is a sales pitch and the options presented to you are all, um, they might all be different, but they all have the bank's logo in the corner. So when, the best decision might not have been any of those, but they've got to sell you something. Um, so that's that's a tough position to be in. Um, the way that we think about what we're doing is trying to rebalance some of that asymmetry and get closer to symmetrical. Um, we're not promising that you're going to be you're going to have all the answers and be able to make all the perfect investments for you in an instant. Far from it, but literally, like you said. If you can understand that, you know, when the when the UK or the US central bank says interest rates are going up or down, here's the mechanics of what might happen to your investments, whether that's a savings account or you know the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500, like major stock market indices. If you can understand how those things are linked and how they impact you, then I think that's that's one step closer. And then next time, you know, you'll understand an incrementally new thing. You'll be like, oh, okay, well, those, you know, maybe stocks go up, but bond prices go down. So I understand why my entire portfolio looks the way it does after that piece of news. Yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating. On season one of the podcast, we um, we spoke to the Financial Times journalist um, Robin Powell about kind of investing and that kind of stuff. And, and we were talking then about how, you know, this stuff can get really complex but the more that people read about and understand it even if it's just short bursts of content which they can obviously get through your app and kind of learning pathways and things it it made investing more interesting when you understood you know if this lever was pulled that would have this impact over here that kind of makes it uh, dare i say a bit more fun uh, to invest yeah i think it it makes it more fun it makes it less daunting and less scary and less like a bunch of men in dark rooms with a thousand computers pressing buttons, changing, you know, your entire fate. Um, you've got more control. Um, and so the idea is, you know, when you, or the hope is, when you do go and make that investment, and like I said, it, it can be as simple as setting up an ISA or as complex as picking a single stock or trading options or something you know, wildly crazy. But when you go and make those decisions or, you know, set up your child's pension fund or, um, or pension, I'm sorry. When you set up your child's trust fund or something like that, you're not doing it from a position of nervousness or fear. You're doing it, you know, while while being informed, while understanding uh, understanding the decision you're making and 
what might make that a good or a bad decision over time. Um, and, you know, maybe even with a bit of excitement because you're, you're confident you're making the right decision. It's um it's fascinating when you kind of when you think about the workplace and investments for for quite a long time, uh, a workplace pension has been most people's um, either entrance or only experience of any kind of long term saving or long term investing, um, and you look at kind of all the research around pensions, you know, from the last twelve months, you know, seventy percent of people in the UK say they don't understand their pension. Um, the chief economist at the Bank of England, Andy Haldane, um, says that he doesn't understand his own pension. There's a lot of mystique around pensions. Trust in pension providers is really, really low. Most people don't trust pension providers. Um, and there was some research out I read about a week or so ago where it said 63% of people would take pensions advice from a stranger on the street. Um, and then you kind of compare that with the fact that um, there's, there's there are all sorts of research, and we'll put, I'll put these in the show notes. But there's things like people spend more time thinking about what biscuit they want to have with their tea than what they do about how their pension's invested and what fun choices they make. Oh, um, which is probably you know, probably not surprising to lots of people in the know. But your pensions yeah. as a a product in an industry has kind of really failed the employee, I think, for quite a long time. Um, and when we talked about pensions in season one with a couple of different people and long term retirement. You know, somebody was basically suggesting that when you look at investing, that is saving for the future. So we're not just talking about pensions. Retirement is about having the money you need to do the things you want to do. And that is a long-term investment vehicle. So forget pensions and start thinking about saving for the future. Um, and it's been suggested quite a lot in, in our industry in the kind of workplace uh, employee financial well-being space that pensions are becoming less popular in exchange for other ways to save long-term like long-term investments um do you think that's true does that kind of mirror what you're seeing um yeah it it, it kind of does it's funny you said that um 63 of people would take a pension advice from a stranger um i remember that i bumped into andy howding uh, at an event last year and i think he made that point on pensions uh, to me then and i was like well look you don't understand it spend an hour with me and we'll go through it and uh and we'll, we'll get you we'll get you up to speed which would have been pretty much akin to taking advice from a stranger um but yeah <laughs> seeing that in practice uh i think yeah i think look, pensions have are, are almost the financial industry in a in a microcosm of that um they've got all the power they've got all the information and the customers they're meant to be serving haven't got the foggiest about what's going on. Um, and the rise of easier, more understandable, more accessible ways to invest for the long term, um, be it via apps or other um, sort of other services, is is pushing people to sort of take money out of their pensions or sort of contribute less to their pensions and put that money elsewhere. Um, now, of course, you can use your pension as a, a direct investment vehicle. It's probably more ta- one of the most tax efficient ways you can invest. But um, the very fact that people aren't doing that just shows how poorly the pension industry is done as a whole in educating people about what exactly their pension is and what it's doing day to day and how they can take more control over it. Um. And so one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about was ethical investing. So people would have kind of probably seen the uh, anacronym in ESGs. Uh, we see it in the pension space being used more and more and some of the workplace saving space. Um, 
And I guess that ties into some stuff I've been kind of reading and uh, writing about around kind of socially responsible employers and actually employees wanting their employers to make uh, more socially conscious choices. Um, and I saw uh, a gentleman called Mark Stevenson, who's a futurist, uh, talk at an event recently to uh, the financial industry talking basically about if you don't invest ethically, there's kind of no future for you to invest in at all. Um, and one of the quotes he said he spoke to CityWire in 2015 and said um, if they as in employers don't take their social responsibility seriously they'll become increasingly irrelevant in a society with a generation growing up who does not want to be rich and have city jobs but want to do something good for society um, how important is ethical investing and how important do you think it will become do you think it's is this kind of is this a little blip that's just tapped into the public consciousness or is this kind of something that's here to stay do you think no, I think it's I think it's here to stay, and I think it's incredibly important. But maybe an unpopular opinion. I I don't think it's um, the antithesis of capitalism. I think it is capitalism. In yeah, it's just twenty twenty capitalism. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, so we we interestingly we had we ran a survey last year among our our audience epitomizers, and they said. The majority of them, I can't. I think it was two thirds. I've got to double check the number, but the majority of them said they'd be willing to accept lower investment returns if that money was invested ethically um, or with social responsibility. Social responsibility at the core, something along those lines. Um, which is interesting because I think it then makes ethical investing, um, ESG, all of that from an employer perspective, from a corporate perspective, um, an imperative. Simply put, if you're not thinking ethically, if you're not thinking socially, um, your business is likely to underperform, um, perhaps because your workers are going to be disgruntled and leave, and that causes disruptions. It might be on that scale. It might be on a much larger scale if you're an energy company, for instance. But um, I think, you know, yeah, with with a corporate hat on and with a capitalist hat on, the two go hand in hand. I think ethical investing is just smart investing and um, being wise and thinking about your longer term profits rather than maybe the one or two year blip you might get um, in the positive sense if you don't spend that money now. Um, and that's to say nothing of the you know, nigh on uh, climate emergency that everyone but a few countries has um, Acknowledge and is working towards trying to solve. Because it's interesting. We obviously I talked about pensions before. Um, you know, the the research says that nine in ten employees investing in a workplace pension scheme um, never move from the default. Um, so they never switch from that. And there's been quite a big call to action for more pension providers to offer um, ethical funds to, for people to invest in, and also to educate employees more so that they understand you know, some of the things that you've just said, um, so that they can make that switch if they feel like that's the right thing to do for them. And historically, you know, nine out of 10 people not actively deciding how their funds are invested, um, which, which for many will be one of the largest financial commitments they'll make in their life. By the time somebody retires, you'd ideally want them to have more money in their pension fund than they probably spent on their house, which means it's obviously the biggest financial commitment they'll probably make. Yeah. But But people aren't, just they're just not engaging with it and i think what you guys are doing and what we're seeing in the market is the fact that you know i, I genuinely believe that you know the financial education is 
is key to all of this um not just getting people out of debt but getting people to save positively for the future um and i think just understanding things like ethical investing even if it was a trend understanding whilst it's here how that has an impact on you as an individual and how you can drive that um i think is really important yeah 100% i think what we found is if you do give people the tools to you know build their awareness uh dive deep into topics if they want to and build out their education and get smart on ethical investing or whatever else um they do take action um versus if they don't and so we sort of circle back around and i talked about the majority of people wanting to take control but saying i just don't have a clue how to do so if you start to give them those clues if you start to explain to them what's going on how to take action um what they might want to do then they just go ahead and do it um more often than not uh and i think yeah pension funds in that regard should spend time educating their uh, yeah ultimately their customers on the options out there how those things work um and they might be surprised how interested people are in them excellent well really appreciate you joining me on the podcast um you certainly give us some stuff to think about the finamize app has been recommended multiple times on the app store and has been awarded app of the day i think again this week perhaps um listeners can start a free seven-day trial to finamize by visiting finamize.com or keep up to date with all the finamize news on twitter at finamize carl thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight really appreciate it thanks very much Join the workplace wellbeing discussion online by tweeting your thoughts and questions to at World of Good Book. Thank you to my guest today and thank you for listening.